Welcome to the Perp Web Podcast, hosted by Joe Bosch. Welcome back, everyone. And I'm Tammy, if you don't know me. And I, hopefully they do, but maybe it's the first time tuning in. Uh, I'm giving a talk today, a couple talks, but the first one is going to be on nutrition and health, the tiny things that make a big difference. All right, specifically, we could, I could do lots of talks on nutrition. It's one of my personal interests. But what I want to talk to you today is about the micronutrients, not our macronutrients. So we're not going to be talking about protein, carbohydrates, fat, and all of that. We're going to be talking about the tiny things that we need to be taking into our body through nutrition and the, the kind of difference that they can make. First of all, vitamins. What kind of vitamins, where are we going to get them, and why do we need them? Okay, well, there are 13 uh, vitamins that are identified as vital to getting the proper nutrition um, for humans. So the first one we're going to talk about, we're just going to kind of go in order here, and I'm sure you're familiar with a lot of these, but hopefully I'm going to touch on a few extra details, not really get bogged down into the hard science, but just a few extra details about each of these vitamins that's going to be useful to you because I really have a philosophy about making nutrition and health as easy as possible to manage. We have a lot going on in the rest of our life. The last thing we want to do is complicate an issue that really should be very basic to our uh, everyday life. So we'll start with vitamin A. Um, we have a couple ways that we can um, ingest or get the vitamin A into our diet, and we've got plant sources, so pretty much all colorful fruits and vegetables. We have animal sources, liver, whole milk, and we have processed sources where a lot of things have been enriched, specifically cereals are enriched with vitamin A, most cereals, and they'll note that on the box. Mm. Vitamin A works as an antioxidant, which is always great. Um, functions within the body. It contributes to our vision, bone development and growth, um, our reproduction system, almost all cellular processes, and our immune system. You want to talk about that a little more? Just very quickly, on the cereals, does that include Lucky Charms? Often, the, it's the, actually, it's often the children's cereals that are the most enriched because wow. they're targeting children-like cereal and it's going to be a lot of times those sweet and sugary cereals that are actually enriched. When you get to your natural cereals, the ones that are what you might call adult cereals, if you will, they're often not enriched because they're not uh, assuming that that's your primary source of where you're getting your vitamins. You're a mature eater, and hopefully you're going to have more of a um, broad-based diet. So basically, they enrich it so parents buy Lucky Charms feeling like they're actually giving them their children something healthy. Or when it isn't really. Well, it's not that it's unhealthy. Often they have too much sugar, but you are getting a lot of good things for that. And when you're when you have a child, they can often be a picky eater, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you can get them to eat some cereal with some milk that is also fortified and has right. some additional vitamins in it they're actually going to be getting quite a bit of good things there. Now, mm. is it better if you could get them to eat all-natural cereal with a side of vegetables and fruit? Sure, mm -hmm. but that's not always a choice. Anybody right. who's had a child knows that. Oh, absolutely. And you can usually get them to eat something that comes in a cute box and tastes sweet, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So sorry. Yeah, that's okay. 
You know how I am, informal, interrupted any time. I know. Okay. Very, I know. Except Next. when you're doing a case. Go ahead. <laughs> so sorry. Next, we're going to talk about B vitamins. Now, B vitamins, we have quite a few that are necessary um, and to keep our health um, where it needs to be. We've got B1, B2, B3, B5, B6, B7, B12, and folic acid. All of these um, have different functions within the body. I didn't want to um, get too heavily into this, so we'll just kind of generalize B vitamins all together. We've got plant sources, leafy green vegetables, peas, beans, they're all excellent sources, animal sources, fish, poultry, meats, eggs, dairy, processed sources, cereals, and breads. And again, you'd have to look specifically at the type of bread or type of cereal that you're purchasing to see that it's, they often use the word enriched or fortified, and then they will list um, in the nutritional box information the um, vitamins that it includes. Okay. Um, functions within the body uh, has to do with your red cell production, uh, process energy from the food that we um, eat. We need B vitamins to be able to extract uh, the energy that we have the, um, from the calories, the energy that we need to have these um, uh, functions. And one note, um, and this is, uh, I'm making this point now because we're gonna talk a little bit more in depth about how we get these vitamins that folic acid is especially important during pregnancy. It prevents um, a multitude of birth defects. So out of all the B vitamins, folic acid is really what you need to be worried about and often taking a supplement for. It's usually in those prenatal vitamins mm -hmm. if um, you are trying to or are currently pregnant. Okay, vitamin C, we are, uh, a lot of people are very familiar with this. There's lots of uh, talk out there that vitamin C is just like the magic um, vitamin out of everything. If you're sick, you know, take some vitamin C, drink some orange juice, all of that kind of stuff. And uh, so a lot of people are very familiar with this. It, it is actually readily available in um, a lots of different things that people eat on a, a regular basis, our plant sources, all citrus fruits. Uh, tomatoes, broccoli, bell peppers, they all have incredibly high vitamin C content. Mm -hmm. I could have made uh, an entire slide of all the, of the foods that actually have vitamin C, but these are some of the ones that have the highest content. Mm -hmm. um, your processed sources, juices, and again, cereal. See, they, they really try to put everything you need into cereal because a lot of children are... Right. Eating cereal, mm -hmm. and it's also a very um, inexpensive source of food. So um, even uh, all uh, you know, socioeconomic groups are going to have cereal. Right? Mm -hmm. right. It's an antioxidant. Functions within the body. It um, has uh, roles with uh, skin, bones, connective tissue, healing, and iron absorption. Okay. Vitamin D. This is another one we hear a lot about. Right. Um, it, we actually, it's interesting because we have a, a, a separate mode to be able to um, get vitamin D. And that is actually through our skin, through exposure to sunlight. And we hear a lot about, you know, the sun causes cancer. We need to protect our skin. But daily um, uh, exposure to sun is actually good for you in limited quantities, of course. Um, and then we can do it the normal way of just taking it in through our diet. Animal sources. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Are you absorbing vitamin D from the 
radiant light or is does it just stimulate some production of it somehow? Yes. So the sunlight is used to make a, a chemical reaction occur so that you have vitamin D available, but mm. the sunlight is necessary for that. Okay. Yeah. So it's a stimulus. Yeah. Um, animal sources, egg yolks, liver, saltwater fish, processed sources, milk, and cereal. And you'll notice that full fat milk or 4% milk, um, whole milk, what we call it, is always fortified with vitamin D. Again, that's something that, you know, children are often drinking, infants are drinking, and uh, it's an easy way to make sure that they are able to get that vitamin D. Functions within the body, very important. Uh, calcium uh, absorption has, to, uh, has roles in the nerve system, muscle system, and immune system. Vitamin E. So this one is uh, plant sources. Um, nuts, seeds, margarine because it's made with vegetables, leafy greens and vegetable oils, uh, your processed sources again with cereals. So, so far every single vitamin is uh, been in, cereal has been enriched with it. Um, it's an antioxidant, functions within the body, immune system and metabolic processes. Okay, vitamin K. Vitamin K is another one that's kind of interesting. Um, there's two kinds of vitamin K that we need in our body, and one comes from plant sources, green vegetables, dark berries. The other is a bacterial source. Uh, they call that one K2, and we get that from lactic acid fermentation in our gut. Okay? Um, when they talk about having a healthy gut is important, uh, this is just one of the reasons. Um, functions within the body, uh, has a role in protein synthesis for clotting, so if you have a vitamin K deficiency, you often have um, a clotting problem and can have bleeding issues. You bruise very easily. Um, protein synthesis for bones and tissue as well. So also if you're on Coumadin, yeah. you, that's why you can't eat the green leafy the vegetables and the dark berries of dietary restrictions because mm -hmm. it interferes with the Coumadin, mm -hmm. right? And then, because it's an antidote to Coumadin, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, um, and that's one of the reasons why they came up with those factor 10A uh, inhibitors mm -hmm. so that it doesn't have dietary restrictions. Like, okay. I guess Xarelto, is that one of them or something like that? Uh, I think so. I don't know exactly, yeah, but I know but that, that know that's why, that's why they put those into development for that exact reason. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's get into the other side, the other macronutrient, uh, micronutrients rather. So we have the vitamins, and then we also have minerals. You know, what are they that we need? Where are they, and uh, why do we need them? Okay, so this is a tiny little list, but I wanted to really touch on uh, the most important uh, macro minerals. And minerals are broken up into two categories your macro the ones you need you know certainly more of and then your micro or sometimes they're called trace minerals so let, we're going to talk about the macro minerals first mm -hmm. so we we all know we need calcium it has uh the sources are dairy and leafy vegetables the processes that it um, contributes uh, to development of bones teeth uh, nerves immunity your muscles and energy. So you can see why calcium is at the top of the list. It has a lot of very important roles. Phosphorus, we can get that from dairy, meat, vegetables, eggs, fish, poultry. 
It has to do with cell functions, uh, cell membrane functions and bones, magnesium, which John did his knowledge nuggets on uh, our yes. last talk. I remember um, that. Which is why I, you know, I told him I appreciated that talk. Dosing I, is in grams. Yep. Dosing mm. is in grams. We'll learn that. Um, sources are green leafy vegetables, fish, nuts, beans, whole grains. Uh, it has to, it has an important role with the use of glucose in our body, protein synthesis, nucleic acid synthesis, and cellular energy. Sodium, sources are table salt and additive to foods. It has to do an uh, uh, important role in water balance within our tissues. Um, potassium, fruits, vegetables, uh, where we can get it, it's readily available. Of course, plays an important role in muscle contraction, nerve impulses, protein synthesis, nucleic acid synthesis, and energy production. Mm -hmm. Chloride, our sources are tomatoes, leafy vegetables, olives, and the processes, uh, it plays the most important role in acid-base balance and fluid balance. Sulfur, sources onions, garlics, meat, dairy, and the processes that it is most important for are amino acid production. Mm -hmm. Okay, now that we've gone through the major macro minerals, let's talk about the trace minerals or the micro minerals. Iron, of course, we hear a lot about that as perfusionists, right? Because we're always thinking about red cells. Um, but it has an important sort, uh, has important role with oxygen transport in blood and energy metabolism. Uh, lots of sources, uh, organ meats, uh, regular meats, fish, poultry, shellfish, egg yolks. Uh, I think the shellfish, mainly clams, is where you get them. But Ooh, good. Uh, uh, legumes, uh, fruits, dark uh, and leafy vegetables, breads, and cereals, and rich cereals. Uh, manganese, uh, many plants, it was just too long to list, but uh, it, we need such a small amount, it's available in lots of different plant sources. Um, it plays a role in enzyme formation. Copper, uh, again, with uh, nuts, seeds, whole grains, uh, organ meats, drinking water, also plays a role in enzyme uh, formation and iron metabolism. Iodine, we uh, of course get that from seafood, um, from any kind of iron enriched soil where you grow vegetables, um, ionized salt, bread and dairy. Mm -hmm. It plays an important role in uh, regulating growth, development and metabolism. That's actually why they put it in uh, ionized salt, is because they wanted to make sure it was becoming a, a regular part of our diet because it has such important roles mm. in regu regulating growth and development. Yeah. Yeah. Now everybody uses these fancy Himalayan pink salts and all yes. of that kind of stuff. And table salt, you know, ionized salt has really uh, become unpopular. Iodized? Iodized salt. Iodized salt. Iodized yeah. Salt. That's, um, yeah. So yeah. did they not put. I, is it is the Himalayan pink salt not iodized? Nope. Oh. Yeah. It tastes good though. It, it does. Good. It's tasty and it's pretty, right? It's pink. <laughs> yeah, I don't care about the prettiness. It just tastes good. <laughs> tastes good. It tastes good. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about zinc. Zinc's uh, sources are from meats, fish, poultry, um, leavened whole grains, vegetables. Uh, Enzyme formation, protein synthesis, genetic material, uh, taste perception, wound healing, fetal development, sperm production, uh, general growth, sexual maturation, and, and immunity. 
Oh, for some reason, cobalt is not updated there. All right, so we're going to skip over cobalt because I can't remember. I know it had to do with enzyme production and plant sources are where you can get the cobalt. Um, fluoride, sources for bones and teeth. Uh, bones and teeth, that doesn't make any sense. That has roles in bones and teeth um, and that we can get, get it, those are reversed, drink from our drinking water because it also uh, often has fluoride as an additive mm -hmm. um, and uh, fish and tea. Well, they used to fluoridate the water all the time, then they stopped. Yeah, so it just kind of depends. And you know why they did that, because it plays such an important role in yes. uh, uh, preventing teeth decay, right? Yes. And they figured if everybody's drinking water, that's one way to do it. But mm -hmm. now lots of people have their own water source or they have, you know, these different water filtration systems mm -hmm. that are going to really limit those kinds of things uh, because there's been a lot of pushback to having those kind of additives to the water. Has there been <coughs> an increase in tooth decay in younger people? I don't know. That would be an interesting thing to look up. Mm -hmm. Okay, then we have selenium. Your sources are meats, uh, seafood, grains, and its main role is uh, as an antioxidant. Okay, so what do the experts say about all of this? Because now that you know everything that you need, how are you going to get it? Do we take multivitamins? I mean, I, I personally take multivitamins. Do you? No, I take one. You take, I take one? one. I actually take a lot of different things, which is interesting uh, because I already know what the experts say. Uh, but you're also, you know, and I, I will say this, I wrote it, you're, you have a real passion for this. Mm -hmm. This is something that you really know a lot about, but you live this. Mm -hmm. You work out a lot. You do, uh, uh, what's that called? CrossFit stuff. You run long... High intensity interval training. I do distance yes. running. I uh, track macros, uh, you know, the other side of nutrition, uh, you know, how much protein I eat, how much carbohydrates I eat, the fat mm, I eat. Yep. Um, I, I, I'm very interested in that just as a personal interest, mm -hmm. and I, I try to apply it to my life as, you know. You do, and I've seen you do it. Yeah, but I also, you know, am learning more and more about the, uh, the micronutrients, and, uh, you know, I, for a long time, have taken a multivitamin and then I started adding in different things. You know, I also take magnesium and biotin and a probiotic and a prebiotic. And uh, I take uh, melatonin to help me have a restful night's sleep. I do all of those things and I feel like, uh, you know, it makes a difference. I can tell when I do not take them, but um, not surprising, the experts don't agree. Mm -hmm. They say that uh, most current studies you know, this out of Johns Hopkins, out of Harvard, there's various studies out there that say there's no real benefit to taking daily vitamins. There used to be a lot of thought and some studies that were done, you know, 20, uh, around 20 years ago that said that you can um, prevent uh, mental decline as you get older, also cardiovascular issues by making sure that you're getting your multivitamins, that you're getting all your micronutrients, but the newer studies are saying that it's unlikely that it really has an impact at all, with the exception, uh, specifically, of folic acid is mentioned. They know for sure if you take a supplement of folic acid when you're uh, pregnant, it really mm -hmm. does have an impact on birth defects. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, if you have any specific deficiency, you have a vitamin K deficiency, you know, you do have to uh, take these supplements as your, you know, doctor recommends. But that, and that there's not, there's a lot of uh, 
questions about why taking these multivitamins, whether they be, you know, the kind you buy at the grocery store or the kind that you, the specialty high-end ones that are, you know, how their process is very pure and what they're, how they're put together has um, the least amount of additives, right. you know, thinking you're getting the highest quality you can. There's really no difference between them. Mm -hmm. And they, um, the thought process is that it's in combination with when those nutrients are within food and we're actually ingesting them, mm -hmm. that that's how they're, um, be able, they're able to be extracted and utilized the best in their mm -hmm. natural environment but it's a multi-billion dollar industry that's right i mean i'm I, I know all of these things i've looked into this stuff before and i still take them mm -hmm. and are, are they are they saying that because they think you're not actually consuming the the optimal amount of that particular vitamin if you consume it through a well a pill they, i mean if you versus, look at you know eating it or eating it um you know, uh, like a live plant, like a broccoli uncooked, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You know, right. they say you when you cook it, you lose some you of the do. nutrients. Am I mm -hmm. right? So is that what they're also saying? Yeah, I, I couldn't really find a definitive answer other than that that's just what they're hypothesizing, uh, that it's just when it's taken in combination with all the other things that it, you know, it, if you're eating a green leafy vegetable and you're, you're getting, you know, uh, vitamin A and vitamin C, it's uh, them how they are in that particular plant for when you were going to ingest it. Mm -hmm. So really it just comes down to nutrients are best utilized when we, in, uh, when we get them from food. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So goes back to something really simple. Remember I'm all about keeping nutrition simple and you just need to eat a broad range of natural foods. Agreed. You, you need to eat the rainbow. And, uh, you know, especially important if you're a vegetarian or a vegan, you really have to make sure that you're looking into the specific type of vegetables that you're going to be eating to make sure you're getting the, all the necessary micronutrients. Mm -hmm. Just uh, as a real quick list here, um, these are the most nutrient-dense foods uh, I think we've all heard mm -hmm. these called, sometimes they're called superfoods. There's yes. no such thing as superfoods. What they really mean is these foods have a multitude of vitamins. And so eating some of these foods in your regular diet, you're likely to hit all the minerals and vitamins that you need. Avocados, um, lots of your real leafy vegetables, spinach, bell peppers, Brussels sprouts, mushrooms, baked potatoes and sweet potatoes. Remember how you're talking about a potato is really unhealthy? It's actually not. It's how you prepare the potato. You don't, you don't put anything on it. Yeah. Or you know how you no, prepare it. Well, it depends. You say, I mean, I don't think it's unhealthy per se. We just had this conversation. It's a lot of starch. But it's just a lot of starch. So if you're, if you're trying, like when I lost weight, if you're trying to lose weight and you're trying to do, if you're doing keto, potatoes are really bad. Well, only because you're... It's carbohydrate you're nutrient starving your body with your eliminating, virtually eliminating a macro group. But actually complex carbohydrates, ones that are not simple sugars, take a long time to digest and they're really good for your body because they release their energy, you know, very slowly over a long period of time versus eating, uh, you know- A uh, packet of sugar. Yeah, versus eating the sugar, you're gonna get that quick rush but then the energy is gone very quickly. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's all in moderation, yeah, right? Like, and I think the key is like, 
you know, any of this that you, you may think that is bad for your body, it's the portion, you know, portion. It's portion, portion control. control matters. Portion control. That's actually Huge. the number one Huge. problem that we have here in, the, um, in America uh, is portions. Mm -hmm. I actually um, read a whole article about the size of our plates here. Mm -hmm. They are quite a bit larger. Mm -hmm. What we see as um, a salad plate, which we don't have a lot of those, maybe if you're going to a really nice restaurant here, most of the time your salad's coming in a bowl or something. Mm -hmm. A salad plate is more on target with what a dinner plate is in the rest of the world. Yes. Well, sure. you know, and, and of course you're going to see this too in, in one of my uh, talks where I'm talking about ECMO. And you look at comparisons of ECMO centers in different parts of the world, and they have BMIs of 26 and 27. And, you know, our normal BMI here is 38 to 40. Yeah. yeah. We, we are, uh, you know, obviously we have a lot of uh, resources available uh, for people to choose whatever kind of food they want. Mm -hmm. And often, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a quick source of food. We have a lot of fast food options, which don't always have the best selections for you to choose. Although, mm -hmm. you know, that's been changing over the last decade. Uh, most places have some sort of healthier option, if you will. Um, but perception of portions uh, is uh, really distorted here. Mm -hmm. And the availability of the kinds of foods that we eat, mm -hmm. you know. Um, Lots of places have heavy carbohydrates, uh, lots of places in the world have heavy carbohydrate um, sources of food. Let's say, you know, uh, perhaps in Japan, lots of rice is eaten there, mm -hmm. yet their average BMI is incredibly low. It's very normal. Well, it's what they put with that. If you're going to eat a lot of rice, you're probably not going to be eating, uh, you know, they're not eating potatoes. They eat potatoes. Yeah, or potatoes. They're mixing that with fish, Vegetables. you know or in vegetables. And mm -hmm. so it really has to do with um, the choices that you make to complement. One food in particular is not necessarily bad on its own, right? Mm -hmm. It's what you're gonna mix it with and how much you're gonna eat. And we're also very um, inactive here. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we uh, the, the emphasis is on staying busy, lots of work, and then when we're off work, we're tired and so, there is a tendency to not be as active as we need to. That mm. whole movement of getting 10,000 steps a day, that's not an exercise. That's a, you know, that whole goal was that's how much you should be moving in an everyday environment. And then adding, you know, uh, five uh, to six times of 30 minutes of actual additional activity a week. Mm -hmm. And I know our children aren't getting that. There are some people that will drive their car to the end of the driveway to get the mail. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, if you're able, sure. take, take the stairs wherever you go. Mm -hmm. Take the stairs at the mm -hmm. hospital every day for every floor, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, stop taking that early or that close parking spot. If it's not raining, park far away. Walk a little bit, right? You know, you're walking a little bit. Those little things will add up. Uh, and especially if you get one of those fitness trackers and it really tells you how much you're moving. Uh, you know, Apple Watch has even gotten where it tells you when it's time to stand up. You know, we're, we're to that point where we don't even know you've been, you know, stationary too long. You need to do something else. I remember um, one time touring the Edwards um, uh, valve 
uh, laboratory or the, the valve manufacturing plant. And that whole industry is actually sort of a family legacy. Oh. And they're uh, typically Asiatic, um, a lot of Vietnamese. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, uh, they sew these valves, these leaflets, on these sewing rings by hand. Oh. And there's an assembly line of them. And they have this big micro, this big, uh, not microscope, but uh, magnify, magnifier, uh-huh. and they're working under it. And every so often, I don't exactly remember how, what, the, what the schedule was, but they would, everyone would stop at the same time. They would make an announcement and they would get up and they would exercise and do, you know, move. And then that would stop and they would go back to what they were doing. But the whole assembly line did it all at the same time. Wow, yeah. Well, and you know that uh, there's been studies uh, that I've read about mental focus. And, you know, for example, you sit down and you write some talks, right? Yes. And you, you're like in the zone and you are writing those talks and you're answering emails and you're doing all these things. But it's been shown that taking a five to 10 minute mental break can actually help you refocus and be even more productive. And it's the same thing with those, especially with that tedious work. Mm-hmm. I would imagine that, you know, your eyes start getting kind of uh, blurry from looking at something for so long and you're doing these small motions and getting up and moving can uh, give your body a little bit of a break so that you can then refocus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So anyway, that's, that's my talk. And oh, really it just comes down to Go eat your vegetables. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's really simple. If you eat a broad range of food, you're going to be intaking the, all the nutrients that you need. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, this talk wasn't about it, but portion control mm-hmm. is one of the most important skills that you can learn as far as keeping your diet, uh, you know, in line with what's going to be good for your body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to, may I ask you some questions? Yeah. Um, We're done with the slides, David. You can take them down. Thanks. So, um, what do you know about, let's do this one first, blue zones. You know much about blue zones? I don't know what so that I is. You, I think you'd be very interested in this. Okay, so, what is oh, it? Oh, wait, I think we have something for you. This is for this is for Tammy. <laughs> <laughs> Thought we'd just set that right there for you. There you go. There's your, these are all fortified. Fortified. We have those for you. So I thought you'd appreciate that. Some, some rich, savory, savory snacks. Let's see what it says here. Does it say? Well, I actually, I'll show you the ones that are in my pantry. I mean, I've got kids, so some of this is in my pantry my, my, anyway. My but, would be like at a buffet this, right now. Out of everything here, I probably maybe, nope, nope, uh, and no. These two. Okay, that's your consolation prize today. <laughs> so there you go. Good job on this. So um, Blue Zones are people oh, that... Wait. Oh, some Oreo pins. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so let's just see. This one has zero vitamin D, zero calcium, 1.1 milligrams of iron, but it does have 40 milligrams of potassium. Very good. So you'll eat those and not get muscle cramps. <laughs> Excellent. Or choose a banana. Or choose a banana. Mm-hmm. See that, kids? If you're watching, <laughs> I'm sure the children are watching because everybody's working from home. So I'm sure all the kids I'm are sitting around sure right now watching. To be watching they this. better be watching us. Okay, there's going to be a test afterwards. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, blue zones are where people have lived. They they routinely as communities live 
to a uh, hundred years plus with relatively active lives. Okay, so I know um, that the longest uh, or the uh, highest average age uh, per capita, I believe, is in Norway. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that, um, but uh, the, they are. There are called blue zones. They're all around the world, and they um, and they have one thing in common. There's a book written actually called Blue Zones, and you might be you might be interested in it. Yeah. And it has to do with their diet, they, they theory is they believe that having a plant-based diet with supplemental meats yes. um, in very small portions is the healthiest diet for longevity. Okay. Um, but, you know, it's interesting. I mean, it's Blue Zones, it's a book. You know, I've not uh, read the book, but I've been referred to it and had it referred from, people have referred to it several times that I've talked to. There's one person in particular that I know very well and he was using this stuff, he swears by it, um, uh, called Juice Plus. Now they have Balance of Nature. I'm sure you've seen the adverts on it for on TV. Fruits and vegetables all compacted into one little pill. You take a triple dose, you know, and, and, and you, uh, you feel great. What is your view on that stuff? I know you had those studies, but, but you see these advertisements and these people are you know, they're, they're, they're unsteady, they're, they're having all these health problems, and they take balance of nature, now they're doing a testimonial, and life turned around for them. I don't really know much about that. I mean, I've, I've already admitted I take multivitamins and even additional supplements, even though I know that, you know, it's, uh, there's nothing proven that it, I'm actually even getting anything from that. But as long as it's not, uh, you know, uh, vitamins they, they can't harm me i guess is uh, as long as i am taking that there are individual vitamins vitamin e for example that you can take too much of and so you have to be careful if you're going to whether it's water-based mm -hmm. or water soluble right. or it's not water soluble right. because it will become cumulative right so you can it, take too much vitamin e right correct but i you know unless you really know about that sticking with a multivitamin you're never going to get too much, if you will, so you're not going to harm yourself. Um, but I feel like I I feel better knowing that I've you know taken these in, and so I do. Mm -hmm. Now, as far as that uh, taking those uh, you know fruits and vegetables in a pill form, mm -hmm. I don't really know a lot about it. But I do know that when I don't eat enough fruits and vegetables, I can definitely feel the difference my um, in digestion, in sleep, in just generally how uh, energetic I feel. Mm -hmm. um, so there could be something there. I don't know. I don't know. Um, and then uh, I was going to ask you about this other one, um, which is, I guess it's an anti, it's called relief factor. I see that advertisement a lot too. Oh, I don't know that. Um, and I guess it's for inflammation. Okay. So, you know, of all the things you talked about, I mean, I think a lot of this stuff, I don't know if you've seen that advertisement for, I, I have for uh, Relief Factor. Yeah, they, it's on, they advertise it on the news channels all the time. And it's some kind of four ingredient thing that's for reducing inflammation mm -hmm. to get you out of pain and all that kind of thing. Um, you know, I'm always very skeptical of those kinds of ads. I don't really find them to be mm -hmm. credible, but I'm trying to ask because I don't know. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming there's, I'm not the only one that doesn't know. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as far as, as far as natural sources of anti-inflammatory, since you talked about nutritional value, but is there anything that's edible that is 
really more beneficial for reducing inflammatory processes than something else? Nothing that I really can speak to. I know I've seen supplements that claim that, you know, in the health food store or even the, you know, the grocery store, but nothing that I specifically know about. I mean, for me, anytime I'm feeling uh, inflamed, if you will, I don't have any chronic conditions, so I can't speak to those types of inflammation. But when I, I find that, you know, drinking more water helps me in all aspects. And then doing uh, light stretching, I feel like that helps anytime my jo joints are hurting, which I assume is from inflammation, um, either from overuse or, you know. Uh, muscle tension. Yeah, muscle tension. You know, when you're stressed out, I get a lot of muscle tension here. Um, and those are really the only techniques that I tend to use. Mm -hmm. But again, I don't have a chronic inflammation problems so i can't really speak to that okay fair enough i always thought like greens right greens and some vegetables have mm -hmm. some anti-inflammatory mm -hmm. aspects to it yeah, yeah. I just don't but I'm, I'm not sure which one yeah i know there's definitely certain diets that are geared towards people who have chronic inflammation mm -hmm. and i do believe they're uh mostly plant-based plant -based mm -hmm. yeah. yeah well you know it's, yeah because i'm sure you know meats have i mean i think they are pro-inflammatory and so I think that's probably very true. And if we do look at it from that, the um, very nice comment, by the way, um, very informative, great stuff. Good job. Oh, thanks. Uh, Tammy. So, um, uh, no, I think that meats are known to be pro-inflammatory. Mm -hmm. And so it stands to reason, again, blue zones, longevity, reduced in inflammation, cortisol levels being yes. lower, not developing all of these. Because I think coronary artery disease is an inflammatory process. It is. Um, vascular disease in general, and probably some cancers, perhaps. I mean, mm -hmm. so I think that, uh, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Okay, why don't you get your, if you want, get your next talk ready. I'm going to take these things can away. You take the to snacks away? It. Yes, so that you don't gobble them all up. <laughs> and uh, we can just go forward. Are all of yours on one thing, or do I need to switch it to uh, the other one? We need one? to switch it to the other one. So let me do that. Here you go, Magic. Help me out. Thanks, buddy. Here. Let's get the snacks out of here. Files. Give it back. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so Nate, Nate said he's, he's pretty much close to finishing up. Oh, okay. So I'm going to go ahead and take off. Okay. Okay. Files out. And then just turn the mic off. And, um, You're leaving us? Yeah. Nate's close to finishing up. I he, he needs to help Nate. Oh, okay. Um... um what I do with it? Oh, there it is. Is it? Um, no. No. Okay. Thank you. Hey, can you go to the uh, standby screen? Thanks, buddy. Give us just a minute you. to load the the slides for the next talk. Okay, thanks everyone.
Thanks for giving us just a minute to regroup. We so had, we just keep re, we just keep getting smaller and smaller. Now it's, it's just you and I. It's just back to us. You're gonna have to scoot don't on you, in. Don't you love it when we 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 do these things during the middle of the day when there's actually work to there's be done? There's work to be done. So Min had to uh, leave us. He had to head over to a hospital. He's uh, uh we were so glad to have some new voices and new perspectives here. Yes, though. I think it's so. Great. I think so. It's good to see you. Yeah. Hi. Welcome Where's, back. Mm -hmm. All right. So. Let's get into my second talk, and it will actually be the final talk of the day. And it is strategies for managing high-stress jobs. Now, if you've been with us a while, I've talked about uh, managing stress in the past. I believe it was about a year ago. It's another one of my interests. And, of course, we are in a field that can be very stressful. And uh, I enjoy my job very much, and I want to continue to enjoy it, and I want to continue to live a long time so that I'm able to to do all the fun things and still practice, just like you. You gotta outlive me. <laughs> just keep working. Just keep working. Okay, so today we're gonna talk a little bit about um, strategies for managing high stress jobs. And I have no disclosures um, for this. Let's start first, stress. What are the first ideas about this concept? Now, it's always been a part of the modern world. We, we're all very familiar with that word and, and what it means, but it had to start somewhere, right? Dinosaurs chasing us. Actually, we, That's had, stressful. we hadn't termed it yet. We hadn't coined the phrase yet. It was much, it was much later. It was a, after the dinosaurs. Okay. Yeah. So um, going all the research that I could find goes back to this individual, uh, Dr. Claude Bernard, uh, he lived 1813 to 1878, and there's a very nice um, sketch of him. He was a French uh, physiologist, and he came up, uh, what he did a lot of great things, actually, but one of his uh, phrases that he came up with is, uh, and it would normally be in French since he's French, but I'm going to say it in English, uh, is the internal milieu, which is a concept that the maintenance of life depends on maintaining a constant internal environment despite changing external environment, okay? And that's really where stress kind of starts. That's the beginning of what we are going to uh, term as stress, okay? Different, uh, different uh, external environment and internal environment kind of working uh, against each other. Next comes along Walter Cannon. Uh, he lived 1871 to 1945. He's an American uh, physiologist and uh, neurologist. Um, he came up with the concept that homeostasis, that it's defined as the meaning the process of the body to remain stable conditions, right? Where I think we're all pretty familiar with this concept. He researched emergency functions of the sympathetic nerve system. And he had a, developed this concept, this thought, that acute stress response, okay? It's the concept that hormones are released to help the body flee from a threat or stay and deal with the threat, where I think a lot of people are very familiar, even they've never heard of Dr. Cannon, with the flight or fight concept, right? And so he's the guy who came up with that. Then we're going to move ahead a little further to Dr. Hans Silai, forgive me, uh, anyone out there who knows actually how to say that. He lived 1907 to 1982. 
He is a Hungarian, or he was a Hungarian uh, um, Austrian endocrinologist. He came up with this general adaptation syndrome. And you'll notice that all three of these people are kind of building on previous concepts of the other. And that's why I've chosen these particular three. He said the general adaptation syndrome is a response of the body for the demands placed upon it. He recognized that different diseases could cause similar symptoms in patients and that they actually just looked sick. You know, it wasn't that he had even done any diagnosis for them, that, that patients were coming in and they just didn't look right. And then come to find out they could have various different diseases, but if you just put them in a room and looked at all of them, they all looked very similar, okay? He termed the word stress. He described it as, you know, a nonspecific response syndrome. And even though stress had been used in a different way, you know, uh, in physics, um, stress on different uh, systems and, and yeah. forces, he, it had never been used in a medical sense before. So he is uh, given credit for that particular phrase in this type of uh, description. Really? I just thought that was a term that had been around for time in memoriam. Not in, applied to a medical condition. Yeah, I yeah. understand. Yeah. You know, stress forces mm -hmm. on an object. Yeah. But I, you know, gravity is a stress force. Mm -hmm. But I never, I didn't know. Yeah, so that, it's pretty modern. That's what I was saying. Yeah. Sometime after the dinosaurs. I didn't realize that. Now, not that stress didn't exist. We just hadn't really started to try to understand it and what it does to the body. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so let's talk about stress terms and definitions. thought this was kind of cute. This is defined stress here as the confusion created when one mi one's mind overrides the body's basic desire to choke the living daylights out of someone who desperately needs it. <laughs> okay, here's some basics. So stress is specifically defined as the effects of anything that seriously threaten homostasis. So you can see that Dr. Soleil is still building on Dr. Cannon's idea of homostasis, right? A stressor is defined as the actual, or here's the really important, and I'll go ahead and just use our new tool here, the actual or perceived threat to an organism. It doesn't even have to be a real threat. If it's a perceived threat, it is a stressor and can cause stress. Your stress response is defined as the adaptive processes in response to a stressor. So it's important to understand that a stressor causes stress and what your body does in response to that is your stress response, okay? All right, stress, how does it affect us? Well, I think we all know that there are two components to stress. There is a mental component and there is an actual physical response. People can get sick just from the amount of pressure that stress can put on your body, okay? So let's talk about the psychological aspects of stress. We'll break it up into two categories uh, because it's important to know that stressors for children and stressors for adults are often different. Children, stress is usually going to come from abuse, some kind of trauma, family conflict. Actually, the number one stress for children in the modern world 
is divorce or uh, family uh, conflict, you know, a death um, or uh, problems in the, uh, the family unit. It can lead to um, detachment, lack of intimacy, learned helplessness. That's a really, really important one because as they develop and become an adult, these things are setting them up for how they're going to be able to relate to the world and often the amount of things that they're going to be able to um, achieve. You know, so uh, it's important to understand these things because any children undergoing these types of major stressors are often going to need some kind of method for coping so that they're able to overcome these challenges. They can have other behavioral issues, you know, pretty much anything out there from being too quiet, too loud, uh, you know, not being able to follow simple rules in a classroom often leads back to stressors that are going on to them in the home. Um, and they can even develop major personality disorders as they get older. Mm -hmm. okay? We've seen that in some of those horrific stories of, you know, hearing about people who go on to harm other individuals in their adult life. It's, it's, it's often, hmm. yep. It, that's a that's a that's a real that's a real debatable topic. I think I don't we we shouldn't get into it now, but I will you know if I may. Notwithstanding, people have experienced some horrific things in their childhood. Once you become an adult, you're you're kind of making your own choice. You absolutely are, and I don't think they should be excused. But many studies who have talked to these types of individuals can link back very abnormal events in their childhood. And then there's ones that do have nothing at all. So mm -hmm. there's definitely a biologic component to that. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a whole nature-nurture thing going on there. But this, there are stressors that can lead to bringing out, perhaps that personality disorder tendency might have already been there, but now it's going to be highlighted by these different stressors because... Stress really comes down to um, having coping skills and uh, different uh, methods to relieve these stress, right? Mm -hmm. and, That's I mean, true. think about physics. Um, you put enough stress on something, eventually it's too much stress and something's going to break, right? Yeah. So you can think about, you know, the stress that humans, especially children, I would imagine, because they have even less coping skills mm -hmm. because... They're children, right? They have less experiences to build on um, that they, they can really have some lasting effects. Let's uh, refocus here on this talk, though. Um, the adults. So, of course, it can come from the same kind of things from children, trauma, abuse. But here's, again, the really important one. Everyday demands can mm -hmm. cause a tremendous amount of stress in the modern world. Our jobs. Our jobs. Are stressful. Yes. But, you know, somebody said something to me just recently about our job. You know, I mentioned, you know, the the essentially my my feeling of of despair and demoralization because our um, the types of patients that we've had to manage here lately. It's really had a horrible effect on me um, just seeing as much death as we've seen. And their response to me was you chose your job. Yeah, that was that was rough. That was rough. That was a, that was harsh. I yeah. thought. True. But somewhat harsh. 
Well, you know, that's also kind of getting into, if we take it from a more humanistic type approach, you choose your spouse, you choose your friends, you choose where you live, all of those things. But that doesn't mean that it's easy to manage those things, Mm -hmm. right? It doesn't mean you love your job any less. It actually probably is an indication that you are still very much enjoying your job because you in particular are so affected. No, I'm really not liking my job lately. But in general, you like it. I know what you mean. But you're so affected by the just poor outcomes we've had, Mm -hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They often talk about uh, healthcare workers, you know, becoming desensitized to death um, because it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a defense mechanism so that we're able to go home and be with our families and do another case or do another case. And there is a level of detachment that I think is absolutely necessary, but we can't. We have to walk that fine line of being desensitized, and if we can take anything positive out of all of this COVID ECMO experience that we've personally had here in Houston is that the fact that I have been beaten down by this, that I've, uh, you know, had dark thoughts about this, it means that I'm not desensitized. And so that is something that's good to know. That's true. And I appreciate that. That was, that's, I think that's very insightful, Tammy. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Okay. And uh, so let's refocus again. We can talk all day, can't we? Um, Adults can also, uh, so the everyday demands, and it can lead to depression, anxiety, eating disorders, substance abuse, and even smoking. And I think we're all kind of familiar with those things. Um, But what's kind of interesting is that um, I think we try to really diminish the amount of stress and uh, turmoil, if you will, that these everyday demands can put on us. You know, we don't, we don't want to be, uh, you know, at least for me, I don't want to be a complainer. I'm like, oh, everybody has hard days. But sometimes recognizing that you're under a great amount of stress and that that's okay is really the healthiest thing you can do. Because you acknowledging that the stress is there can help you analyze how to diminish it and even remove yourself from these types of negative um, thought process mm-hmm. and also doing something about it before it becomes a real health um, detriment. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's talk, we talked about the psychological effects. Let's talk about the biological effects, which I find to be the most interesting because I know there's a lot of commercials on TV about you know, depression and anxiety, and you can take this, or you can get some exercise, which I'm a, you know, big believer in uh, to really help relieve some of those psychological pressures. But there's also some real concern for the biological effects, okay? You have two main responses. You have your acute stress response, you know, so that's something that is not going on. You're, you know, you just uh, had an encounter and uh, maybe you almost got in a car accident, right? Uh, Someone pulled out in front of you and you you have to quickly slam on your brakes or change lanes or your child almost, they're climbing on the furniture and they almost fall and you quickly respond to that. That would be an acute stress response. And 
your body tries to make two determinations. It tries to decide, I'm going to perceive this as I need to move away. In other words, you need to do your flight response. And you're doing this without even thinking, really. What happens is your body has a myocardial response. So it starts really pumping. Your heart rate goes up because it's trying to give you that extra energy that you're going to need to be able to flee. So that yeah, you heart can rate just, and contractility. I yeah, mean, you're I, getting felt it out before. of there, right? And you've even had that, you probably had that happen um, uh, when, you know, like, yeah, I know when I've almost been in a car accident, let's say, and you just kind of pull over for a minute and you kind of stop and your heart's just pounding in your mm -hmm. chest and you're trying to do the deep breathing to tell your body, okay, everything is fine. Nothing happened. You know, I, I, I don't need to get out and, and run out of here. I, you know, I, that was a near miss, right? Well, on the flip side, if your body perceives that you need to stay, then you have a vascular response where all your blood is then leaves your limbs and it goes into your organs. And the thought there is, is you're going to get in a fight. You're going to have to deal with this threat. And if you are conserving where, or protecting rather, where all your blood is, if you are in a physical altercation and you're cut somewhere, hopefully you're not going to bleed as much, right? So this is really interesting that your body is thinking about all of this and doing these kinds of responses. I mean, I think it's genius actually. It really is. Yeah. Okay. So that we have the acute stress response. Then we have a chronic stress response. And that's really what most people, when they say, when they're talking about being stressed, that's really what they're referring to, right? It's the, it's the, the constant or the repeated uh, stressors that are put on a person. You know, we often are in stressful situations, right? We go into a case and we're, we got to be on for those, you know, three hours. And you might be under kind of a, a stress survival mode because you are laser focused on all the things that you need to do. But it's something we're trained to do. We know that, you know, military is often that way. Pilots are that way. Uh, those are great uh, examples you gave earlier where they know when they need to be on and then they can just flip it and turn off, right? So those would be a chronic stress situation, that, but they're more controlled. It's not like you're having that panic attack that you have in your acute stress response where you're trying to figure out, what do I need to do? You... It's like a simmer. Right. It's a simmering sort of continuum of stress mm -hmm. versus an immediate action, reaction, right. and then it's over. Now, the problem with the chronic stress is that your body can become maladaptive. It's faced with it so much. And if you don't have a good release system, if you will, you can start developing the things that help you in the acute stress response can become a chronic health problem. Sustained hypertension and vascular um, hypertrophy can become your normal. And that, of course, isn't good, you know? Um, sustained stress hormones can suppress your immunity. This is what we're talking about when people who have hypertension are not supposed to get too excited, right? Not supposed to do these things that then further stress your body because your body is maladaptive to what it needs to do when it's going to have a physical stress, okay? 
All right, so let's talk about stress. Is our, our jobs, are they a joy or are they a stressor? In other words, are they the cause of our stress? Because that's- they, Can they be both? They can. They can. They oh, can. I, did I get ahead of you? Did I get they ahead can. of you? I do that all the time. Okay, it's okay. But I mean, that's what this talk is really about is how do we, what do we do? I love my job, but it is stressful. I don't want to do anything that's going to harm my body so that I'm not able to have the proper hormone responses or the vasculature responses that I need to um, and, you know, end up with a heart attack or get sick all the time because my immunity is suppressed because my hormones are imbalanced. Let's talk a little bit about just workplace stress in general. And this is not medical. This is just all jobs. So there's actually um, a, uh, an institute that looks at this. It's the American Institute of Stress, or AIS. And this, um, I found this on their website. It was done a few years ago, but I, I think, if anything, it likely has increased versus decreased. So what they looked at is the major causes of stress in relationship to workplace stress. And you'll see that overwhelmingly it's the workload it's back to that philosophy here where we 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 want to get more work done more work done more work done mm -hmm. we're we're a definitely a, a producer of a country and mm -hmm. so even if you aren't making something you're a part of a process that's eventually going to make something right mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. do something and so we're really all kind of producers in that way well it's craziness because you know, uh, notwithstanding COVID, and 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 I, you know, I assume I don't know. I don't think I'm the only one with this thought that um, you know I depend on people being sick. Mm -hmm. That is my. That's how I make my living. Yeah. And so, and I enjoy the fact that as an organization, uh, as a company, basically, you know, our clinical practice part of our our company is as busy as it is. Sure. That's good, right? Well, it's good but for us. <laughs> yes, it's not. That's my point I'm trying to make is I have sometimes conflict with that because, you know, if we're not busy, that's a good thing for society because people aren't sick. Mm -hmm. They're going to be sick anyway, but you understand where I'm going with no, this. No, absolutely. From I a, mean, I've thought a, about that as well. You know, when I tell people, oh, you know, I, I'm so busy at work and they're like, great. And I said, well, I mean, I guess for me, it's mm -hmm. great, but not really great that we have more patients. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think that we really, any clinician, anybody who takes care of a patient, I mean, I used to think about when I was young and I thought, oh, maybe I'll go to medical school. Um, what is a profession in medical school, you know, that I could actually not be taking care of people who are scared and sad and at a very low point of their life, you know, mm -hmm. maybe, maybe I want to go a different route and I really could only come up with one thing. Can you think of what it is a medical specialty? Radiology? No, cause that's um, not really like there, if you're getting looked at, something's wrong, right? Um, yeah. Um, not OB. I mean, really that's it. OB? Yeah, because you're bringing a life into this world, and so people are... Oh, most that, of the... Unless something goes wrong. Well, there's always... Yeah. The, but 
generally speaking, yes. people are happy to be there. Yes, fair enough. Fair enough. Yes, I can see that. You know, but then I had to think about people are happy we're there because disease still exists. Until disease doesn't exist, mm -hmm. accidents don't happen. People don't get COVID. Right. I have heart disease. But all of that's from all of this stress. I think a there's lot of it. Yes, a lot of it. I think there'd still be disease. People are still going to die or get aged and need care and guidance. So really, we can, instead of looking at it from, oh my gosh, so many people are sick. Mm -hmm. And so therefore we're busy and that's good for us. But I should feel bad about that because that's bad for them. I think we have to look at it from the perspective that being the healthcare professionals that, that I strive to be is I'm there to, someone's going to be glad I'm there because they're there. Mm -hmm. They don't want to be there, but they're going to be glad to have clinicians that care about them, who have an interest in, uh, you know, making them better. Competent, empathetic, right. responsible, all of those things that leads to a successful outcome of the procedure from our perspective, from our side of it. Right. And, you know, we get to see these patients when we're in the ICUs, but, you know, as perfusionists, often we're cut off from that patient interaction. We don't see them afterwards. You often don't really even interact with them when they're in the room because maybe they came in when you had stepped out and now they're asleep and, you know, all those sorts of things. But you'd be surprised, especially with, you know, how much information is available. People know about us. I mean, I had a conversation with somebody at the gym the other day and, you know, got it. I see you, you know, you talking about you have a weird schedule. Are you in medicine? I tell him yes and tell him what I do. And you know, he didn't know from what I said. But then when I described it, he said, oh, you know, I had heart surgery. He was young, too. I was very surprised mm -hmm. a number of years ago. You know, I, I had it had it down here and I, I know what you do. And thank you. Mm -hmm. You know? That's rewarding. It is. That's very rewarding. It is. Anyway, let's get back on track. Okay. So um, jobs are the major source of stress for American workers. You can see 20% of it is just juggling your personal life, you know? I mean, even people who have those uh, more traditional hours uh, shifts or, you know, that eight to five job, you're still juggling things. There are things that are going on in the hours you work, no matter when you work that you have to manage while you're still at work, whether it be children or elderly parents or home repairs or getting to the dentist, all of those things uh, do provide uh, or do um, cause a little bit of stress because you're just trying to get your things done, right? And then 28%, the second highest is people issues. Wow. Is just getting along with the people that you have to get along with. Wow. Yep. Um, last, uh, the levels continue to rise over the past decades. Um, and I'm sure that's no surprise to anyone. Um, we're a busier culture, a busier society than we've ever been. And it, and it continues to grow uh, year after year after year. No two jobs are exactly the same. So it's really impossible. Like you read these, uh, these rankings, if you will, that are out there that say, oh, this is the most stressful job and, and this is the most uh, unstressful job. And, you know, depending on what you're looking for, choose one of these. But really, no two jobs are exactly the same. So your job and my job, both of us, let's say we, we even if we practice in the same 
you know, uh, team. But he, especially if we don't, your job and my job are not the same. Even if you show up to do a case with the same surgeon the next day, I show up to do the same case with the same surgeon with similar, you know, procedures being done, all of that. It's never going to be the same. And I'm going to tell you why. So there, just keep that in mind. There's no way to truly rank the most stressful careers. Workplace stress, perception is everything. Job stress is highly personalized. And this is why no two jobs are the same. Because what I deem stressful, you may not deem stressful. So I thought this quote was really interesting. One survey showed that having to complete paperwork was more stressful for police officers than the dangers associated with pursuing criminals. I agree with that 100%. And you have experience. For Yes. For those, of, those in the audience that don't know, I was a police officer at one time. And yes, I completely agree with that. Or some people might find... Especially when it got sent back because there was it wasn't written the way they wanted it. Right. So that, that's the point that this this quote, why I put it on here, or trying to make is because we're all unique individuals, and this kind of goes back to what I was talking about, you know, some children that have stressors at home are going to have different reactions. We're all unique individuals. We're all very complex beings. And how I process something and how you process something, because a lot of it is mental. It is perception uh, is going to be different, and we're going to have different reactions to it. Stress arises from the perceived loss of control with growing demands. Again, you don't have to actually be losing control to feel stress. I mean, some days I wake up and I can have the busiest day. I've got to get children here. I've got uh, two cases to do. I have an event I have to do afterwards. Uh, I got 15 phone calls that day. And I go to bed and I think, I took care of business. <laughs> that day was great. And I can have another day where it's a pretty routine day. I just had to show up and go to work and my case went fine. And one small thing when I was leaving happened and my day is ruined. And I think, this is terrible. I'm under so much stress. Why do I do this job? I don't want to do this anymore or you know, whatever it is because it's all about per uh, perception and how you are perceiving things at that particular moment. And Part of understanding and being able to manage stress is knowing that your perception is going to change. And so therefore, if you acknowledge that, then it's easier in that moment, in that stressful moment, to know that this too will change, mm -hmm. right? How a person fits into the workplace environment determines their stress levels. And that is why being a police officer for one person may be the perfect job and may not have much stress at all, except for, you know, of course, we're all going to get stressed in a time of danger or something. But it depends on how you fit into that environment, what is going to be expected of you, how you interact with the people that you interact with. That's why, you know, I might be so happy at this one hospital, but then when I have to, you know, we're contract, we go to multiple hospitals, I go to another hospital, I don't fit in well with those people. It doesn't mean that I can't do my job well, but it means that I might have more stress there. Yeah, it's not that you don't fit in well, you just don't fit in as well as you do at the other place. Right, and again, yeah. these are all, uh, these are all. I'm just trying to soften it up a little bit. Well, but I. Because there's no place you don't fit in. 
Well, thank I you. I mean, I'm just being. But you know blunt. what I mean. I mean, we all have our favorite people. We like to be yes, around. Yes. Yes. And there's some people who I'm their least favorite person. That I mean, happens that happens everywhere in all every hospital it, for me. It happens in all areas of life. Mm -hmm. You know. Mm -hmm. But that's that's the thing to kind of think about is that sometimes your stress level is just in how you are going to be relating to the specific situation that you are in. Okay, so let's look at a couple. Um, these are pretty uh, famous, I guess, surveys that have been done. This was done through the, um, they're called NIOSH, I guess, but it's the Nas National Institute of, for Occupational Safety and Health. It's a government institution uh, division. Does that used to be OSHA? No, this is different. Different? Yes, yeah, different. Um, so what they looked at, they look, and this reports, uh, it's, it's a little bit old, but people still refer to it. So I thought it was worth um, bringing up here. They had a lengthy survey that was um, done, and they found that 40% of workers reported their job was very or extremely stressful. That's almost wow. half, right? 25% view their job as the number one stressor in their life. 75% of employees believe that workers have more on the job stress than a generation ago. 29% of workers felt that they were a bit overwhelmed or extremely stressed at work. 26% of the workers said they were often or very often burned out or stressed out by their work. So that's a quarter of the workforce that's thinks they're burned out. That's a lot. Job stress is more strongly associated with health complaints than financial or family problems. Wow. I find that interesting. Yeah, very interesting. I would have thought family problems or financial problems. I mean, usually one leads to the other, but those are pretty serious well, stressors. Financial is, I mean, that's basic survival, right? Yes. You would think that that would always be... Uh, you know, it, even if you're financially stable and you're doing well, um, you still worry about that sort of thing. You but, do. I do. Of course. Of course. All right, let's look at one more. Okay, so this is a, a survey that was called Attitudes in the American Workplace 7. So it's been done a few times, right? 80% of workers feel stress on the job. Nearly half say that they need help in learning how to manage the stress. So of the workers, 80% say they feel stress and 40% of those say they need help in how to manage it. 42% say their co coworkers need help. 25% hmm. have felt like screaming or shouting because of job stress. 10% are concerned about an individual at work they fear could become violent. That's a big, that's, and that's been a problem before, workplace yeah. violence. And it, it, and it happens in hospitals too. Yeah, it does. 14% of respondents have felt like striking a coworker in the past year, but didn't. But they felt like it. 9% are aware of an assault or a violent act in their workplace. And 18% had experienced some sort of threat or verbal intimidation in the last year. Those are, I mean, I mean, those are frighteningly high numbers. Really are. We're stressed out. I'm not. I'm under a, a lot of stress, but I'm not stressed out. As a society, but there's a reason why you're successful. So let's talk about okay. it. Okay. So we, we have to have jobs, right? Most yeah. of us do anyway. Mm -hmm. So what can we do with our job stress? 
here's some strategies for you. You've got two ways that you can try to manage your stress, either from an employer source, in other words, something that is provided to you from your employer. A lot of bigger companies have what's called EAP, you may have heard of that, but it's employee assistance programs, and they usually encompass a lot of different things, but there's often um, available free to you different types of either individual counseling or groups that meet to help. And they, they have everything from dealing with health problems to dealing with communication issues to anger. Pretty much you name it, there's probably something in that EAP if it's available to you to help you deal with some of your stressors. Organizational change to job duties. So this could be more from, you could change departments, let's say, you know, but really, I think what they're trying to highlight here is as an employer, or as a manager, as a person who manages uh, other employees, or even as a team member, you know, with a coworker, if you change the organizational um, setup, you can help relieve stress. So maybe someone who has a certain kind of personality needs to have certain job responsibilities that they will do best at, that they can handle, right? Mm -hmm. Or maybe the person whose team lead is good at their job, but maybe they put a lot of stress on the team or the coworkers. Mm -hmm. And so as an employer, and even you know, from a personal standpoint, recognizing that, that people um, can respond. The worst employee that you have as far as you know, maybe they complain a lot, they're negative. If you can change their organizational um, responsibilities or organizational uh, hierarchy that they have to answer to, you can often change their uh, behaviors in that way. Mm -hmm. okay. And some people are just complainers and unhappy. Yes. And they need to deal with that themselves. Yes. Some. Yes. Yes. But I think you can do a lot because that's what management is. That's what management is. It's that's what it's supposed to be, managing right. people. Yes. Being but, able to mm -hmm. maximize uh, and get the best results from the people that you have. You're never going to have all perfect employees, right? Never. No, doesn't well, there exist. Are, there's no perfect people. No, doesn't exist. Um, and then from an employer source, also participating in team building activities. That could be, you know, those little picnics or retreats, or it could be little things, you know, in the hospital. Um, I remember we had things like the birthday party planning committee, which sounds silly, but it's also a way to connect with your coworkers. And the more connection and support that you feel, the easier it is to handle these workplace stressors, right? Because mm -hmm. those are people who are in your same environment, who understand the kind of stress that goes on just day to day, specifically in healthcare is what I have experience with. So you can come out of a case, and if you have these kinds of social support connections at work, you can digest that case and really just kind of let it all go because you can discuss that with the coworker that you've now bonded with because you've done these other team-building activities with, right? Right, and, and people with like experiences um, or like knowledge, like jobs, whatever, can relate and interrelate and understand. Right. It's very hard for, let's say, someone who does, um, I, I don't know, uh, 
manages, not that they can't, but it's a lot harder for someone who manages, let's say, an auto body repair, an auto, an auto repair center, um, and someone who is uh, in, whether it be healthcare or whether it be something else, you know, if you don't understand that job, you can be empathetic, you can mm-hmm. try to, you know, understand, relate, be a good listener, it's hard when you don't do the same job. Well, even, you know, that, that can happen with spouses, you know. Uh, my husband may understand the generalities of my job, and I may understand he has all a technical job too, of generalities of his job, and I can listen to him when he tells me about a bad day or an interesting thing that happened, but I don't really understand the details of it. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. That's also a great uh, way to relieve stress mm-hmm. is to be able to talk about something. It's often, too, why in medicine, you know, we do these uh, case debriefs. Mm-hmm. You learn a lot from debriefs. And just talking things out, um, you can relieve a lot of stress as well. Mm. So, anyway. Very interesting. Okay. And then you also have from an individual source. So, these are things that you could do on your own, you know, as an individual human being to help you relieve this workplace stress. Number one thing, we all hear about it, it's a catchphrase, is maintaining a work-life yeah. balance, right? Yes, but it come really, to work for HET. We have a great work-life balance. We do. Mm-hmm. We do. We do. We do. But it, it is it actually- It could be better though. It'd be better if we had two more people. Yeah, come on down. Please one apply. in the north, one in the south. It's, it's, it's a- HET.us. Yep. And you get to see us all the time in person. We're super fun. Exactly. Um, you could be on the show. You could be on the show, but you don't have to be. You don't have to be. Yeah, but you could eat the snacks while we're on the show. Yes, absolutely. Okay, maintaining that work-life balance. And really what that means, it's different for everyone. It means that you have some sort of time when you are not on work. Mm-hmm. You're not thinking about it. You're doing something else. Because just like those workers that you talked about, who get up and, and stretch and do those yes. sorts of things, that gives you a, like, you know, a little break from something. And it doesn't matter the kind of job you do. Even the person who delivers the mail doesn't deliver the mail every single day of the week. You need breaks from those sorts of things. All jobs are going to have some sort of time that gives you anxiety or stress. And we want to make sure that we're able to do something else. Maintaining a social network, just like it's important to get a sense of connection with colleagues at work, people who handle stress the best have an important uh, support system or a vast support system, whether it's your family, whether it's your friends, whether you know you write about it. You have a support system. You have a way to kind of uh, be able to feel like you're not alone, you're not isolated, you're not the only one who's experiencing this. Knowing your triggers, this is key. There are always going to be triggers. You need to know. I am going to be stressed. Tomorrow's case is going to be a tricky one. I'm going to prep as much in advance because for me, If I prep, if I do the things, if I think about all the things that could go wrong and what I would do if this went wrong or this went wrong or this went wrong, then I know that I feel a little more secure. So if something does go wrong, I've already thought about it, you know. Um, 
but knowing your triggers, it's really important. Knowing that you're going to that meeting tomorrow and there's that person there that you guys just do not see eye to eye. We just had a meeting like that. Yeah. 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 And we knew that it was going to, it was going to be a, uh, it was going to, it was going to be contentious. Yes. Even before we got there. So acknowledging that that's going to be a trigger can help you not only manage your response, but manage the amount of stress that it puts on you. Mm -hmm. Recognizing that stress will sometimes occur. That's, you know, really kind of acknowledging it and knowing that that is a part of everyday life and uh, that it's not going to be continuous because, you know, anytime you feel like you have no way out, you've lost control, you're just going to raise your stress level. Mm -hmm. And maintaining healthy habits, that includes what you eat, how much sleep you get, Joe Basha. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sleep I is get lots of it. Sleep is an important part of health as well. And being, you know, keeping your body yeah, as healthy as you can. And that includes how you eat, how you sleep, and how you exercise. I'll just close it off with this. You can see the one guy has just colored in all his stripes because coloring is supposed to help relieve stress. Very good. Excellent. Well, that was excellent. And I, I did have a lot of uh, references here, just tons and tons. Uh, so if you're interested in reading about any of those, please just shoot me an email. I'll be happy to send them to you. Thank you. Now go relax. I love it. Yes. <laughs> now go relax. Okay. So that was excellent. That was a really, I think that uh, we got, you got a comment uh, uh, from Eric. Kudos to Tammy. Uh, very informative. Uh, great stuff. Good job, Tammy and Eric. Um, and Magic, too. David gave compliments to Magic. Oh, Jacob did. Thanks. Mm. Um, he wasn't, if you weren't outside smoking those cigarettes all the time and were in here helping David adjust the cameras, it wouldn't be such a problem. Leave him alone. And so tomorrow, uh, we're going to be starting at 8.45 Central Time, uh, or 9 o'clock, I guess, 8.45. We're going to have an introduction of four new technologies You'll find out what they are tomorrow. Surprise. So they're going to be, you know, something that's new in the perfusion realm uh, and germane, obviously, to us as uh, perfusion professionals. Are you getting me a Peloton? But, <laughs> so, uh, so <laughs> no, I'm not, we're not doing Peloton. And, um, but that should be very good. And then we're also doing, and probably she's going to have to come in Skype. I'm not sure. But Anne, I talked to Anne. They're very busy. Mm -hmm. um, but there's, she's going to give a talk, which I think is going to be very good. And Gretchen, uh, who's referring and Gretchen, to. And Gretchen, yes. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be on the role of professional societies. Deb Adams is going to give us her experience with the value of giving back, talking about her medical mission experiences. And it, for those of you who don't know, uh, Deborah Deborah Adams. Ad yeah, Deborah Adams or Ann Grecho. They're um, in, in the United States, especially. You probably uh, have at least seen their names because they both served on the American Board of Cardiovascular Perfusion. But for those of you in our worldwide audience, they are two very seasoned perfusionists we're lucky enough to have who live here in the Houston area. They're very active in our perfusion uh, community have been doing uh, serving on all different kinds of committees pretty much their whole career, 
trying to uh, improve our profession. And so we're very honored to have them both join us tomorrow. I totally agree with you. I could not have said that better myself. And thank you for doing that. And they're both excellent speakers. So. And Deborah is also the director of the Texas Heart Institute. Correct. She took over for Terry Crane, School of Perfusion. Yes. So she's their new director. They're, they're local legends for sure. Absolutely. And then Matt Warhoover is going to be giving two presentations, one on perfusion schools. New perfusion schools are opening in order to try and fill the need. Of course, you know, what is that going to do to our job market and salaries? That is a talk he's going to give. Matt Warhoover is the director of perfusion at the Vanderbilt University uh, 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 Perfusion uh, Department. And if you didn't tune and in last Wednesday. That's right. We did the, the uh, inaugural. The, the, that's right. The Vanderbilt uh, Faculty Forum. Thank you again for reminding me of that. He's also going to be talking about perfusion students and are they really receiving adequate training? One of the things that I'm very concerned about is that as these new schools and a lot of them being, you know, basically private, non-academic non uh, environments um, and putting these students out, are they going to really be able to... I'll say it. Go ahead. Are we just creating knob turners? Are we th creating critical thinkers? Yes, and this is something I'm very concerned about, uh, to be quite blunt. Um, and then Anne is also going to be giving a very good lecture. I think this is your good. She's very involved in the STS. Yes. And she's going to be talking about predicted morbidity and mortality when undergoing cardiopulmonary bypass for cardiac surgery, a review of the STS data. Mm. I think that is going to be very fast. I think all of tomorrow actually is going to be a great day. And then Friday is going to be intense and Saturday is even more intense. Uh, you know, we really started off easy today, uh, but starting tomorrow, I think uh, it's going to be a really informative and very, um, uh, uh, it's going to be very worthwhile people's time to tune in and watch these, uh, these programs. Well, and I think too, each day is set up uh, really with kind of a, a theme, if you will. Yes. Well, that's it, been my that's been my thing since the New Orleans conference. No, I, and I was getting to that. So, it really each day is a different experience, mm -hmm. and um, touching on a lot of different topics. So even though we have you know this multi day, um, it's it's not going to get boring. Every day, you know, we're going to cover a topic, and then we're going to kind of move on and do something new the next day, and so. I think that really uh, is good for keeping people's attention. You know? I think so, too. And that's why I enjoy it. And of course, you know, we have continued to try. We now have a new tool. Um, thank you to David uh, for helping us with that, where we have a laser pointer. We have an annotator, kind of like a telestrator, if you will. I'm going to be using that even more as we go on with mm -hmm. these lectures and the other folks are going to be using it as well. So we're just continuing to try and adapt and uh, and 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 innovate, really. Well, we're trying to, we're yeah, these exactly. Programs. Just to make every, you know, iteration better than the last mm -hmm. and uh, really bring high quality education material out there to everyone. Yeah, with a pleasant appearance, with a professional appearance to it. You know, and please forgive me. I mean, we are a little early, but and I know I'm just pontificating at this point in time. I hope you'll just indulge me. But, um, you know, that was the thing with the New Orleans conference. You know, we were, and I know you came to it once, I believe. Twice. The one in Vegas, twice? No, not um, the one in Vegas. Not the one in come. Vegas. But, you know, 
we had it always in an elegant location. We um, served incredibly um, the best food by far food. at yes. any conference I've ever been to. Yes, but also the people that came, the content experts, the award ceremonies that we did with these legends that were in our professions, um, in our little microcosm of cardiac surgery. And really, I think uh, for me, you know, this has been such a privilege and such an uh, such a humbling experience to um, to be accepted you know, as a person who can bring this kind of thing that people are receptive to, because um, I have, I, I look at the other professions out there and I see the level of, we'll say the word professionalism and how they, what the expectations are and what they provide. And, uh, you know, I don't want to do, uh, I don't want to do uh, cold, stale sandwiches. I, I, I think we deserve better than that. And so here with this experience, we, of course, have invested in the studio. We invest in bringing people here. We invest in technology to try and enhance the experience for the learner or for the, the participant, whatever you want to call it. Um, so that it's not just boring and stale and easy. There's a lot of work that goes into mm -hmm. producing these programs. Yeah. And investment. Well, and it's such a priority for you, um, for everyone who's involved. I mean, there's a clinical practice that we participate in. And as you said, we're very busy, mm -hmm. but we're not putting this on hold just because it's not convenient. Correct. We, you know, have a passion and a mission to uh, get this information out there. You've made a commitment to our community, to the people who watch the shows. And to the best of our ability, we are going to continue providing this material. And, and, and I'll just say it. I hope you don't mind. Again, I don't mean to pat myself on the back too hard and break my arm. But I have a real drive to be the best. And that transcends perfusion. That's in whatever I do. And this educational platform is just one of those things. And I fully intend to be, continue to be number one. And I fully intend to get even better than we are and to really expand this experience to the point where when we do actually have in-person conferences, I want to revolutionize how perfusion conferences are viewed and how uh, what people experience from them because for me it's a legacy. Yeah, well, have, you uh, you want to make a real difference, um, and it's not. Although I'm sure you enjoy doing well, it's not a self motivated drive. It's not a financial drive. It's a drive. Well, I mean, that's pretty self motivated. I want to be the best. But, just not financially rewarding. Just in case anybody wondered. <laughs> Would you just let me give you this compliment? Yeah. But you want to do it for uh, more than just that. You, yes. You want to do it for the good of our community. Yes. Agreed. Agree 